Aren't you glad we're not living in one of those communist countries where the supermarket (laughs) shelves are bare? Yeah, that would really suck, man. Yeah, like instead of bread lines, we have toilet paper lines. Toilet paper lines. But you still (laughs) Um, have to pay for the toilet paper. That's the difference between capitalism and communism. Uh-huh. Communism, yeah. <laughs> bread lines, capitalism, toilet paper lines. Toilet paper lines. Yeah. Much better. It, it's only, yeah, it's only fitting like that. Yeah, yeah. Communists are, you know, like the in the communist countries, you're standing in line for things that you consume. And uh, yeah, in capitalist countries, you're standing in line for things for cleaning up your waste products. To wipe your ass, feels, yeah. Yeah, yeah, to wipe your ass. And paying <laughs> feels, for it. Feels apropos. Yeah. Which I think and, is paying, like, and paying for it. Yeah, exactly. You, you wait in line, but you still do just have to pay for it. I'm like... I don't know, guys. I'm pretty done with. Uh, I'm start. I'm really starting to feel like capitalism doesn't make a lot of sense. I know that that's. Um... <laughs> well, well, I think. I, th- I think to kind of to kind of segue into what we're going to be talking about today, this and many other questions I think will surface on today's rejoinder episode where Yay. the three of us are going to be taking on, yeah, exactly what we want to be doing right now is just reading more brain rots, totally poisonous and venomous takes on COVID-19, the coronavirus. What are people saying about it right now? And and what is who is trying to shape the narrative over what this means for us culturally, uh, economically, historically? You know, these are the moments where, you know, history is being written. And as podcasters, it is our divine responsibility, I would say, to cut through some of the BS and analyze some of these takes that are part of the history of how people remember this moment. I mean, they say that the media, the news is the first draft of history. Think of this as the first edit. You know, we're, we're taking the first, you know, doing some comments, some inline edits and track changes. That's right. Yeah, we are all writing teachers, so that feels appropriate. So so we got a we got a big a big really bad slate of articles for you but I think we're going to have a lot of fun taking these down. Well, this time we're doing things a little bit differently. Rather than just having one of us pick one article or two articles to read through to the rest of us, we've all chosen some artifacts that we're going to be bringing in that represent some bad hot takes. We have only vetted them to one another just in terms of like what the general topic is so we make sure there's not a ton of overlap but apart from that two out of three of us will be surprised by the things that we're hearing and we'll be reacting to it in real time so i think we're going to go ahead and dive into calvin's article first so calvin take it away hit us with your best shot all right so for my hot covid take i went to really what you know remains in the post coronavirus era certainly one of the most august media institutions in the Western world. And that, of course, is the conservative Federalist magazine paper. (laughs) Actually, I don't know who wrote this. It's John somebody. (laughs) I almost don't want to look that up. Political (laughs) Political editor... At the Federalist, John. Let's just okay. call him John. D- just let's not, John. Let's not give him the <laughs> the dignity of of uh, naming his last name. So, <laughs> the title of this piece, and and I should mention that it's tagged Wuhan virus. So that's mm. like the tag on the website. The title of this piece, and this is from March twenty first, twenty twenty. So early days, but 
you know, after the, the crisis was definitely like super bad. The media are embarrassing themselves over Trump's use of quote unquote Chinese virus. So that's the title. This is a bit of media criticism here. So I'll, I'll get into this. And but before we get started, can I just ask uh, who who funds the Federalist? Does anybody know? Um, bunch of rich Koch brothers and uh, conservative donors, I think. <laughs> that's um, I don't yeah. know. That's Saudis. Right. Yeah, that, that's uh, I, I, I only for the listeners who don't know. The only reason that I ask that is because that's almost become kind of a meme. People ask that so often because they've never disclosed who funds them and somehow they are able to continue operating as this like this very weird sort of conservative idea mill unabated yeah i mean i would think that maybe they have something to do with the federalist society isn't that like a think tank but i don't know i mean yeah yeah it's a black box and horrible things come out of it so this was march 21st Yesterday, amid the ongoing economic and social disruptions caused by the coronavirus, rising numbers of infections and deaths globally, and widespread closures of schools and other extreme measures imposed across the country, the mainstream media decided we should have a national debate about whether it's racist for President Trump to call it the Chinese virus. In what can only be described as a moment of unconscious self-parody, the media pretended not to understand why Trump would refer to the virus in geographic terms, as if they'd never heard of the Spanish flu, West Nile virus, Ebola, Zika, Lyme disease, or the many other diseases named for their places of origin, as if they haven't been doing the same thing for months. As if who hasn't been doing the same thing for months? The media. I mean, there's a link there. I assume it's to an article where like someone, one person in the media called it the Chinese virus. Oh, yeah. Sure. I mean, of course, within all of those examples, like this is this is exactly the same as all of those other pandemics. There's definitely, you know, like there there is equally little reason that the head of state who is deciding what to call this virus, you know, would have for trying to drum up any sort of antipathy towards the place of origin or anything like that. I mean, who who needs context, though? I mean, pff, what, what am I even talking about? Yeah, it's just a geographic location. Yeah, China. yeah, ex I mean, yeah exactly. There's, there's really nothing more. There's no history there. Yeah. The Spanish flu didn't originate in Spain. <laughs> like that it's like like we we can't have a racist name for this because or you know there's here's another one where we just randomly called it a certain place like what's the big deal i feel like that's a kind of a dishonest i mean it is dishonest to say i mean cuz the i don't know it's all so stupid it's all so dumb <laughs> well and certainly no one has ever referred to a geographical location and meant anything other than that place yes oh, like sure. when i like when I say the South Side, I'm just talking about a neighborhood in Pittsburgh. I'm not. There are no connotations yeah. associated with that neighborhood, Free of like all people being drunk all the time and uh -huh. you know throwing trash on the ground. Like that's not. Yeah, for okay. those for, for those non Pittsburghers, that is that is this city's sort of like like really awful sort of like, like fratty, bar, like bar terrible. District. Yeah, our district. It's, it's where all like the undergraduates with fake IDs go to sneak into nightclubs and stuff like that. Yeah, it's not. not all right. Great. Going on. We got a lot more to get through here, folks. Oh, all right. I can't right. wait. So why? Quote unquote. Why? Because the mainstream media's ranks are populated by biased hacks who don't care half as much about reporting accurately on the Wuhan coronavirus as they care about making Trump seem like a racist. 
the, the, sorry, what was the what was the insult that was levied there? The uh, the ha- the hack thing, biased hacks, <laughs> projection. Oh, sorry, I just I've been developing a dry cough recently. I oh, should God. probably be a little bit more careful there, but uh, yeah, right. definitely. If you can, why do you keep calling it the Chinese virus? Asked a seemingly indignant and bewildered Cecilia Vega of ABC News during Trump's briefing yesterday, citing dozens of incidents of bias against Chinese Americans in this country. Isn't this racist? Trump's answer was straightforward and bone-crushingly obvious. Because it comes from China. It's not racist at all. It comes from China. That's why. It comes from China. I want it to be accurate. I want it to be accurate? Yeah. He's just being accurate. Yeah. That makes sense. Trump has a point about accuracy. Indeed, Chinese is not a race, but a nationality, like American. And of course, in the phrase Chinese virus, the word Chinese is an adjective modifying the noun virus. Oh. Okay. Gotcha. So, right? I mean, oh, you two are writing Simple. teachers. Does that does that check out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a of just an honest way to just casually qualify a noun. No, no yeah, problem well, there. Gonna... Grammar's on yeah, the side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you get a noun. Why not modify it? Might yeah, as well yeah. It, it, you know, all all adjectives, as we know, are value neutral and don't contain any. There's no difference between connotative and denotative meaning. Yeah, but language doesn't have context. It's just a abstract system of signs and uh, or uh, signifiers and symbols. And uh, yeah, there are only one-to-one correspondences. Uh, when you are calling something by its place name, using that as an adjective, you are only trying to be accurate. Mm-hmm. That totally and accuracy sense. is always more important than uh, effect and, and yeah, harm. that's right. That's Definitely right. more important to be accurate. Does anyone want to address the accuracy of the claim that Chinese is not a race? Oh, jeez. But a nationality? <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I mean, I mean, to the extent that like, I mean, we we could go deep into like critical race theory on this too, but like, but yeah, I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole sub, you know, thing of like, you know, the fact that there are like different ethnic groups living in China and there's like a whole, I mean, there's a whole variety of, of, you know, diversity there as well, but but yeah, clearly, like again, you you have to be you you have to be sort of like very uh, purposefully obtuse <laughs> in order to not recognize the fact that this is being applied as a racialized category and not as not as just the location uh, of origin of the virus. I would question the claim that American is a nationality too, as long as we're like quibbling with things like that, you know, because most of us living here are not original Americans. So, <laughs> so if you really want to get into semantics, like, yeah, let's go all the way down. Well, and nationality is <laughs> almost always like leveraged for racist ends. Like that's, I, I mean, it's almost, I don't know, not to be like extremely reductive, but like the idea that you can dissociate nationality from race is extremely And the idea that the uh, like the average American viewer is like doing that in their mind as they're hearing him talk. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. exactly. Just like definitely using I mean that's that's the thing. Like are if we're talking about if the question was brought up in regards to, you know, racial discrimination and hate crime against Chinese Americans it seems pretty valid to ask about that. Like, that seems like a pretty fair thing to at least question, you know? Like, I don't I don't know that uh, when people go around using Chinese pejoratively that they're saying, well, it's nationality, not race. Like, I don't think that that's um, 
how it works on the ground. No, I, I agree. I think a lot of people in general, and probably the president too, if I would hazard to guess, uh, conflate race and nationality quite often, especially when you're talking about places, you know, on the other side of the on the other side of the globe. So, yep. All right, let's keep going here. Okay. This, Ooh, this is real, uh, real good, real strong off to, stuff. Off to a real, just like not, you know, not melting my brain at all so far. But set all that aside. Okay. Watching the exchange above, you have to wonder. Is there no one in the White House press corps who's willing to pull Vega aside and implore her to not do this sort of thing on national television? Is there no one who will politely tell her she's making a fool of herself and in the process making the entire press corps look ridiculous? Apparently not. If anything, Vega's penchant for performative outrage and concern trolling is shared by many of her colleagues. Later in the same briefing, a reporter asked the president about some unnamed White House official reportedly using the term Kung Flu, which Trump had apparently never heard before, and asked the reporter to repeat, which she did without missing a beat. Oh, my God. Okay, so that is, so that's pretty overtly racist. Like, there's no real way to, like, there's no real way to, like, you know, try and grammatically argue your way out of that one. Yeah. Well, I don't think he's saying, I mean, let's be maximally fair here. I don't think that John <laughs> is saying that, that Kung Flu is not racist. I think he's saying some unnamed White House official said it and it doesn't matter. And they're like, they're trying to tar Trump with this in a way that's unfair. Like I don't think I don't think there's a claim there that that particular phrase is not racist. The claim mm. is that because we don't know who said it it doesn't matter. And also that the press is doing performative outrage and concern trolling. Mm. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Well, yeah, again, this is like this goes back to what we've talked about in the past about you know, all of the, again, you want to talk about concern trolling again, my, <clears throat> I can feel my projection cough coming back, um, that, you know, this is just, I mean, this is political correctness in reverse, right? Or it's another form of political correctness where, you know, this is a, the administration and clearly people at the Federalists now too are trying to wage this sort of war of words over what we should call this thing. And, and a lot of it does, I think, have to deal with framing and what is immediately immediately conjured to mind when you think of this pandemic, you know, in the future. And so to that end, I mean, they are, th th this is what makes it, I feel like so ridiculous is that I feel like I didn't really pay attention to any of this stuff when it, when it was originally like the, like the Wuhan virus or Kung flu stuff when it was originally coming up because it was just sort of like, who cares it, or no, not even, not, not who cares, but like, like who is actually, arguing right now that we should be caught like there are so many other things to worry about other than like sorry this is making it sound like i'm like i'm taking this guy you side. don't care about um, the virus no it's it's more of like it's so ridiculous to me that the trump administration and all of the federalists like toadies are trying to make fetch happen with this sort of like this wuhan virus thing when like nobody is clearly taking it up like outside of these extremely reactionary conservative circles, at least from what I've seen. I like, mean, I don't, I don't, I would push back slightly and say enough people are taking up the spirit of it. Enough people right. are, hear, yes. are hearing the dog whistle that For it's sure. affecting people. And that's why I personally think like, like I have my own critique of the corporate media, but like I'm fine with them asking him about this because oh, it's, yeah. there are a lot of ways that, 
like the corporate media critiques Trump for things that that the Obama administration and the Bush administration also did, but his bigotry and like setting a terrible example for lots and lots of his followers is one thing where he's genuinely like categorically worse than arguably every previous president. Alex, didn't you say that like you saw this replicated at a business in Bloomfield? Like, yeah, we, we don't need uh, to name the business, but you yeah. saw like it's like a racist sign in a window. Yeah, really? it was a yes, I did. Yeah, I think it's still up there too. I I don't know. I haven't I haven't been in my previous neighborhood <laughs> for a while now, but but I remember when I was. This is a business that is that is right next to a right next to a Thai restaurant. So again, like there's. There's some stuff going on, you know, that feels weirdly like, you know, like there's something else animating this. But yeah, there was a sign in the window of this of this little shop, uh, let's say, that said uh, it just said, avoid the Kung flu, right? Exclamation marks and then underlines under the Kung flu, I think. And again, it just feels like this sort of, I, I guess maybe I, I, I shouldn't have been dismissive about it earlier. I, I realized that that was that was not a great way of approaching it. I think it just, it's because it feels so like, it feels so try hard to be doing something like that right now, which again, just kind of doubles down on the fact that like, this is their political correctness. This is their virtue signaling, (laughs) you know, everything that they're accusing the sort of like quote unquote liberal media about, they are absolutely overtly doing themselves. Yeah. They just want to be allowed to say certain things and the media is not allowed to say other things. All right. So the fun was just beginning. After the briefing, reporters and pundits scurried back to their studios and newsrooms to compose serious monologues and straight-shooting explainers about the dangers of scapegoating and racism in times of crisis. <laughs> they scurried back? Is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> and Wow. <laughs> serious monologues and straight-shooting explainers about the dangers of scapegoating and racism in times of crisis. Like, so ridiculous yeah. to, you know. <laughs> That's never been a thing before. Yeah. Vox, as expected, turned out an article about how Trump's new fixation on using a racist name for the coronavirus is dangerous. Ooh. Over at The Atlantic, which has been dutifully regurgitating Chinese Communist Party propaganda for weeks now, James Fallows tut-tutted over the phrase while Graham Wood, seeing an opportunity to sneer at Trump voters, declared Trump's use of Chinese virus meant that Trump was retreating like a child to his blanket to the kind of degenerate culture war squabble in which he feels most secure and his supporters most aggrieved. I mean, actually, yeah, that's like a pretty, pretty cogent analysis, I would say. (laughs) Well, I think we learn a lot about the audience from lines like that, because like there's no need even to like use epicrisis, like to comment on this quote and explain why it's wrong. It's just self-evidently wrong. Right. When like that is what he's doing, like he's retreating (laughs) To a much simpler rhetorical tactic that that he knows will animate his followers, folks. Don't you want don't you want more racism, folks? You love it. You love it when I do the racism. Let's do some more racism. <laughs> That's yeah. all you can give them, you know. Again, it's like all these snowflakes care about these like terrible things happen. Like, oh, what do you care about? hate crime like it just it's like harder and harder to like use that sort of framing like oh they're scurrying away to tut tut about you know chinese americans getting stabbed in parking lots Woo! like are we not supposed to take that seriously like i don't it's like pretty um 
Ooh, I don't know. The idea that it's like yeah, they manufactured can't, they can't outrage. They can't come out and say that. They can't come out and say that, I guess. Yeah. But like, that's definitely what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Well, and also, like, I mean, the same could be said about John John Q. Galt or whoever this is, uh, you know, <laughs> scurrying back to his literal, little, little federalist hidey hole to react to the reaction to yeah. the press briefing. Like, that. that's like... You know, yeah, that's what I was yeah, going to say, too. Like, what separates, what separates what he's doing in this article that we're reading from what he's describing the people at Vox doing. Like, I'm struggling to see the difference. There's no difference. The separation here, I think, is that the concerns of those journalists are legitimate. And the, oh, concerns, right. of, the concerns of the Federalists and John whoever is totally reactionary. And, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's shadow boxing, basically. Well, no, and, yeah. I, and I think, like, projection is a really important way to think about this. Because let's remember that the first word in the title of this article is media. Oh, yeah. And this is a media product. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So just like two more paragraphs here. And the subhead now is, do the media care about reality? <laughs> no. <laughs> Listening to these people, you realize they're far more riled up about Trump saying the words Chinese virus than they are about the Chinese Communist Party covering up the disease for months, allowing millions of people from virus-affected areas to travel overseas, silencing doctors who tried to get the word out, spreading lies about how the virus originated in the United States, and expelling the American press from the country this week. By the way, I just want to point out, there's a bunch of links in that paragraph. Mm. I'm not going to click them because they're probably to Federalist articles. Sure. But the Federalist does like none of its own original reporting, so you know that they are drawing on the media, media reporting on all of those things. Yeah. All right. So those are all things the national press could be legitimately upset and outraged about. You might think they would be interested in reporting and commenting on such things. Instead, we're treated to asinine lectures about xenophobia that the blue check media don't even believe themselves. The disingenuousness lately has been appalling. Just a few days ago, David Frum, responding to a tweet about Trump's use of Chinese virus, averred that no one even uses the phrase Spanish flu anymore when Frum himself used it in 2016. So Dang. please, media, enough of this. We all know what the president means when he says Chinese virus, and so do you. If you're going to get upset about something right now, while we're in the middle of global pandemic that's about to destroy the economy, pick something that actually matters and stop wasting everyone's time trying to prove Trump is a racist for calling the coronavirus what we all know it is, a virus that came from China. <laughs> oh, so man. that's how it ends. Oh man. So because we all know what his we all know what the racial term means, it's fine because we all know what he means. Like can you couldn't you say that about like every single racial slur? Like well, you know what he means by it. Like How's that? Oh, yeah. No, it's a real, there's a real dark irony to that particular turn of phrase because it's the, you, you all know what he's talking about where it's like, what we all know. Yeah. You're, you're doing, you're doing some, some doublespeak there for, you know, for the, the liberal wussies that he's chiding. It's like, you know, he's just talking about the location. Whereas readers of the Federalist, loyal readers of the Federalist are probably more aware of the fact that like, no, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely used for like racist purposes and that's fine because that's you know that's what we're that's what we're doing that's what the whole agenda is about i mean like the idea of saying like a named entity came from this place and that in a context of american nativism and like 
immigration hysteria. Yeah, like a time when like the great replacement conspiracy is pretty ubiquitous on the far right all over the world. The idea that saying that something or someone came from a place is just reality and is not suffused with a pathos and like potentially horrible implications is just so ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the lack of contextualization here and particularly the lack of consideration of the consequences of doing this. Like what what are the a good experiments to think about when we're talking about debates over framing is to think, okay, so what future arguments could this framing be used to justify? Or what future policy measures could this framing be used to justify? And when you think about that in terms of whether or not we call this COVID-19, the coronavirus, novel coronavirus, or the Wuhan virus, or the Chinese virus, it's pretty clear that only a couple of those framings are useful in demonizing, you know, relations, uh, foreign relations with a particular nation. So uh, particularly, I think you're right, Calvin, when you hear this coming from a head of state, which is already itself kind of known to be uh, kind of like dog whistling a lot of these white nationalist and uh, nativist uh, conspiracies and other things like that, it's pretty clear that the the consequences of this kind of framing, you know, will will be used to further those kinds of causes. Yeah, I mean, it's also, it's like the, the I don't remember the exact phrasing, but like, oh, you're trying to prove he's a racist. Like, how much evidence, I mean, it's like one of these things where like, oh, you're trying to prove it with evidence and facts. Oh, you keep, it's, like, he's, this is the same president who said shithole countries, I'm pretty sure. So I don't know why it's, like, as if it's, like, a But that's just reality. Right, it's, like, that he it's said It's not that. racist, it's reality. Oh, right, sorry, excuse me, right. He'd have to go further. Like, what would it take, what would it take, what would Trump have to say for it to, like, prove that he's a racist? Like, I don't think that anything, anything would meet that bar, mm-hmm. I don't think, for the media that supports him, which... Sorry, what's his name? John, this guy? Yeah, John? John. Member of the media, I'd say, yes. Do you guys agree with that? He's a yes. part of the media. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. yeah, I just think it's a little bit, just all these takes that are like, oh, you're, that are always accusing, you know, reporters and people of like manufacturing and like play acting outrage and concern as if it's impossible to imagine that anybody would be mad about anything. That That, that any of this would like, provoke any real emotional reaction like oh you're just pretending like obviously nobody gives a shit about anybody so this you must just be pretending to be mad like i think it's a pretty i i don't know i mean i i don't have a lot of there's not a lot of examples you can point to in the media of like oh no they're they're doing it right because you know the very same like national media that he's i don't know chastising here isn't always doing the best job themselves with you know takes like oh for some reason black people are dying more from this we don't know why like okay all right so it's hard to like stick up for all these different national media outlets when you're just being sort of disappointed everywhere that you turn but uh the idea that you'd have to be making it up to be upset about any of this is pretty doesn't really ring true for me somebody who's pretty angry about a lot of this stuff that I'm reading about. Yeah, no, I I want to underscore the point you made about the media because like there's a shell game going on here where like this guy is a member of the media. His career wouldn't exist if these people's careers didn't exist. <laughs> he basically just comments on their work and like throws red meat to his his conservative 
readers. Total barnacle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But there's an, something else going on here, which is that the corporate media is kind of the perfect enemy for the right. The right is lucky to have such a hapless and like self-defeating enemy as the corporate media because he's able to point to David Frum as some kind of an exemplar of the liberal media, even though David Frum was in the Bush administration, wrote the axis of evil speech that declared Iran and North Korea and... I forget what the third country was, but it was three countries like our mortal enemies and established an entire racist discourse of national security discourse for a generation. This guy is now part of the liberal media because of largely like bad programming and reporting by like MSNBC and CNN. Mm -hmm. So this guy is able to point to someone who should be owned by the right. I mean, he is a figure of the right. They should have to account for his views like he is not on our side and yeah a lot of blue check journalists are riding on status and doing performative outrage so there's a truth to what he's pointing out but as you point out alex like he is doing the exact same thing just in the opposite direction yeah you, you really you really wish that there was a better sort of like counterforce to all this or that you know the the quote-unquote resistance media was actually doing any sort of like real job of like resisting the current you know regime rather than just doing this sort of like performative like we think this is bad and then like not really you know not really doing like the like super hard-hitting stuff i guess i don't know well yeah because i mean as john points out like like there may be some truth to what he's saying that the media wants to talk about this instead of other things. But the thing is that he believes that they want to talk about this so they don't have to say what a great job Trump is doing when really they want to talk about this because they don't want to talk about the economy. They don't want to talk about the fact that the Trump administration is like still sanctioning the hell out of Iran and, you know, bombing seven countries like during a pandemic and, you know, giving endless arms to Israel while like Gaza is an open air prison where the disease is spreading. Like they can't talk about any of that. So it does, it is kind of like if they want to be seen as critical and adversarial, they need a set of issues to talk about. But like, from my perspective, these are real issues. So good on them for talking about them. Yeah, no, it is. As long as we're going to, as long as we continue seeing like an uptick in anti-Asian hate crimes in this country. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, I don't know. This even, this even influences other discourse in like such bad ways. Like Andrew Yang had that really horrible op-ed in the Washington Post that you get. I don't know if you guys saw that the other day. Oh yeah, Asian people should wear red, white, and blue to protect themselves against hate crimes or something whatever yeah like yeah it was like oh yeah well i guess racism's a thing i guess we're just gonna have to prove that we're americans and like play right into the narrative it's like you we oh no that was a bad one it was a real real bad he was running for president like two months ago (laughs) uh newsflash you can say all kinds of terrible things and still be running for president that's not uh disqualifying (laughs) at all by yeah by uh any stretch it's fine it's fine to say. So the Federalist 
Really doing great work these days. Yeah. Sorry to sorry to subject you all to that. But. <laughs> no, that's that's okay. That's okay because I actually well, this is kind of a nice a nice transition. My my ears really perked up, Calvin, when you first said that the ears was coming from the Federalist because as it turns out, the article that I've chosen for today also comes from the <laughs> August pages of the Federalist, who have just been like really on a roll with their coverage of COVID nineteen and coronavirus. Just to contextualize a little bit more, so they were they were coronavirus truthers like in the very early days of the pandemic, and they have Damn. been taking part in this sort of weird act that a lot of right-wing outlets have been participating in. You know, like Bill Mitchell and One American News Network is another good example of people who were initially decrying COVID-19 fears as a liberal media constructed hoax to try and impeach the president or to try and damage Donald Trump's reputation. The Federalist was largely doing similar things in the very early days of this, where they were basically, you know, Ben Dominich, I think, the uh, uh, husband of Meghan McCain and co-founder of the Federalists and just all around like absolute, <laughs> absolute trash man, <laughs> was publishing tweet threads that were just big screeds about how the coronavirus, you know, was totally overblown, was a hoax was designed basically as a as a tool of political warfare and then you know reverse course a little bit when it became clear like oh people are actually dying about of this like oh people that i know are getting sick and so now i have to just you know retcon my entire uh, twitter history and pretend that you know my publication was not you know probably responsible for a lot of people not taking this seriously in the early days and honestly i if i'm being totally honest like probably causing a lot of people to die so uh thanks a lot federalist uh, you're doing a truly truly great work over there so my article is also, as yours was, Calvin, filed under Wuhan virus. That is a category for thefederalist.com. Again, also just to note, you know, this is, if you want more evidence uh, from, you know, John, John, I'm just going to start calling him John Q. Federalist. So <laughs> this is also filed under Wuhan virus. And it should be noted that the Federalist used to have a, uh, used to have a file under tag or a meta, a meta tag called Black Crime. Uh, so again, just just reality, you know, uh, you know, not n nothing to do with uh, racism or just anything like facts. that. Yeah, just sta just stating the reality. They you know right. they they know the reality of race. You could almost call them race realists if you really wanted to. Uh, <laughs> that's like a yeah. I don't know. This just, <laughs> just came into my mind um, as a term. So my article is from a gentleman named Chuck Devore, who writes the headline here: Freedom means letting people make risk calculations about coronavirus. The subheading here is, we're a free people, able to make choices, even ill-informed ones, about our lives and well-being. It's called liberty. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think I see where this is going. Yes, yeah. So this is, this is an article full of twists and turns. But, uh, but again, yeah, feel free to stop me whenever, whenever you'd like. Just strap in for this one. Okay, Chuck begins. In a few short weeks, a virus with origins in China <laughs> has brought the American economy to a near halt. So again, 
we can one of the reasons I'm glad that we're doing this article after Calvin's is because we can see the intertextual chain of how phrases like a virus with origins in China is traveling across this publication. Public health officials, 16.5 million healthcare workers, and tens of thousands of scientists are working overtime to reduce the fatalities, heal the sick, and find a cure. Congress reacted as it only knows how, by spending more than $2 trillion on programs, payments, and loans, allocating about twice as much in days what it took to fight World War II in 1944, the peak year of our war effort. All right, wait, stop there. Okay. Is this, yeah. Inflation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, inflation. But is this, did you say the date of this? Is this before or after oh. the Fed started injecting trillions of dollars a day to save the market? Yeah, sorry. I, I, did, not, uh, I did not state what the date of publication on this was uh, because that is very important for this. This was published on April 6, 2020, so two days ago uh, from the time oh, this is being okay. recorded. So, yes. They, so we're supposed to balk, our readers are supposed to be balking at the two trillion dollar yeah, the price tag price yep. tag yep we're supposed to be outraged yep. about that going towards what uh going towards programs payments and loans which again is okay. really doing a disservice okay. to what okay. that to a lot of that two trillion dollars is being spent on which is bailouts for wall street and then big right. corporations right yeah and airlines and airlines yep exactly but also and but airlines. also like this is like a classic conservative number manipulation thing too where like i mean it may be more like in real dollars than world war ii cost i sort of doubt that but like they love to report raw numbers and ignore inflation yes yep, yeah absolutely um, and just be like we got more money like there's more money now isn't mm-hmm. that crazy yeah no it's it, yeah, a lot like of there's cons- more yeah. people you yeah. <laughs> a lot of conservatives don't believe that inflation exists or that, you know, yeah. uh, that that history is really a, a thing that that causes populations. That yeah, that moves populations increase and fluctuate and all this. Yeah, it's it's great. I, I would love to live in an ahistorical wonderland <laughs> like the like the one that uh, people like Chuck and John uh, decide to. Public health experts relying partially on models dependent on thoroughly untrustworthy quote-unquote data from the People's Republic of China have pushed for social distancing measures that have resulted in governors and local officials shutting down vast swaths of the economy. Economists say unemployment will quickly rise to as much as 15% from the former level of 3.5%, with the economy shrinking by 10% in the first quarter, followed by another 25% loss in the second quarter before rebounding. So again, raw number fetish. You can see a lot of that going on here. Any other thoughts on the... Uh, the? Well, <laughs> when's the rebound? What, what rebound? What are they talking about? Um, yeah, I don't... I, I guess that's a that's a that's that's an assumption that's... That's just a that given that is, it will... Yeah, and I've heard that right. too. There are plenty of people who are like, oh, it'll bounce back. Yep. Like in two, what is making you say that? Yeah, in two quarters, sure. I just want to point out that like he's shitting on social distancing. Yes, and yet he had that like incredibly pandering line at the beginning about like our you know our public health officials and our and our hospital workers are just working so hard on this. Like, well, do you want their work to succeed or not, or do you want like those hospital workers to die? in the hospitals that they can't staff because they're sick. Like, right. And are we so, still supposed to be bl- placing the blame on China for not doing anything to slow the spread of the virus? But we're also we're supposed to simultaneously think that social distancing is stupid, 
but very much lay the blame on China for doing nothing to to curb the spread of the virus. I to me those two don't like what is the we think China should have done that that they didn't do. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a misattribution I think of first and foremost like where public health officials are getting information from. Like this is this is the assumption in here is that all of well he says relying partially on models dependent on untrustworthy data from the People's Republic of China, which is like Okay. I also love data in quotes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Data in quotes is is a I nice mean, touch. No, but I mean, also, like, public health officials are relying on their own knowledge of, like, we, we have epidemiologists in America. Like, we have people who know what precautionary measures to take in order to, in order to curb the spread of a pandemic. Like, th- this is not something that it, you can just say, like, well, the numbers came from China, and so therefore, like, this, this you know, curbing measure is totally totally uh, worthless. I want to get I want to get a little bit further in here because to Calvin's point about healthcare workers, uh, that's going to come back around. So keep okay. a keep a little bookmark there. Okay, so we're talking again about the economy and what the the quote unquote shrinking of the economy is going to look like. Here's what this looks like on a practical level. Prior to the virus, America's restaurants were having a great year with the same revenue running about 5% ahead of last year. Then, Chili's was killing it. <laughs> Applebee's selling record numbers of half-priced apps. Oh, man. They're just... <laughs> uh, then came the Wuhan flu. Restaurants across the nation went from about 15% of their revenue coming from takeout orders to 70%, while revenue plummeted from 80% from last year. Some 5.5 million people worked serving food and beverages. Not now. And a large number of eateries will not survive. So, yeah, we're talking about our restaurants. Talking about our chilies. Talking, talking about, about our Applebee's. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> talking and, about our Applebee's. And China just wants to destroy the great restaurants of America. This has been right. a long-term plot. Actually, I I personally think that would be great. Yeah. I, I want more traditional Chinese food. I want food from Wuhan <laughs> to replace yeah. Applebee's. Absolutely. I'm go, go out on well, the limb like... here and say that. Donald Trump met recently with like the like leaders from the restaurant industry and it was like McDonald's Apple it was it was like leaders of all the like big chain restaurants which is like the only like that's the restaurant yeah, industry I right. don't know if you guys well, read uh, well Dave Appleby I think is the department is the uh, sec- secretary of defense right now so <laughs> Oh, you good. Know. Yeah. Good. good. He, that that's in good hands. Yeah. That's good. No, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys happened to read. There was like a an interview with David Chang, which was like kind of had its own problems, where he was basically saying like this is the end of the restaurant industry, mm, right? And that the only you know when like I think it's important to note that when the administration talks about the restaurant industry, they mean, as far as I can tell, exclusively big chain restaurants. Right. They are not thinking at all about you know authentic small you know mm-hmm. like that's not that's not what is included in that right. term when they yeah use these it. these people i think are, are have like suburbanite mindset through and through like they're not thinking yeah. about either the like like lots of small restaurants that are or you know like like specialty restaurants that are in big cities nor are they thinking of like you know mom and pop diners in rural america they are speaking for <laughs> yeah they're speaking for the for the, the, the for the subway franchisees of the world um there's yeah. they're speaking right. for the grand slam breakfast at denny's <laughs> they're worried that it's yeah. just going to be a single they're just going to oh, hit a yeah. hit a slap single 
<laughs> not even a ground rule double we can get at no. Denny's anymore. It's just a yeah, just a real a real shame. Continuing on here, as of April third, forty nine percent of America's two hundred sixty one thousand four hundred thirty eight COVID nineteen cases are in New York and New Jersey, clustered in areas featuring the highest population density in the United States. Although the virus is relentlessly spreading in every state, social distancing is easier to practice on the prairies and plains of Texas than on the subways of New York City. Testing is becoming quicker, easier, and more accurate, with more than one million conducted to date in the United States. Could I yep. stop you? So they're making the argument that social distancing, what makes it easier or hard is geography yes. and not the kind of work that you do that necessitates you to yep. leave. That. Precisely. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Precisely. Yep. Care, care. <laughs> good. Okay. Good. Uh, good insertion there because I think that's that's also really crucial here. Testing is becoming quicker, easier, and more accurate, with more than one million conducted to date in the United States. Critical ventilator production is ramping up rapidly, and treatments are becoming more widely known and available, including hydro- hydroxychloroquine and blood plasma oh. from people recovering oh, from a COVID nineteen infection. In about a year, we may have an effective vaccine. oh wow okay so that's and that's the drug that trump owns shares in that has not been proven to do anything to cure the virus or to treat it yep gotcha okay and that was just listed as like evidence that we were on yep yep yeah it's it's cited as an example of treatments becoming more widely known and available (laughs) whether or not they're effective is really besides the point the the fact is that they're there right we're doing great we're doing great we're doing great this is This is fantastic. I know. Yeah, it's you, you really like when I read lines like that, I really love to live in a country where we don't have to worry about like propaganda mills just churning out, you know, affirmations of uh, yeah. of heads of states, you know, saying ridiculous things like I'm, I'm glad that we live in America where we don't have to worry about things like that. Love to have a country with a free press, freedom of speech, free thought. Yeah, um, that's right. A robust adversarial media. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's great. We love it. But what if another virus emerges out of China? A Chinese bio laboratory has been shown to have been tinkering with bat viruses and selling used up lab animals to local, quote, wet markets for a little extra side income. Is America prepared to spend another two trillion dollars, assuming it can borrow that much again? (laughs) Wow. So, so there's a lot to un- so much. There's a lot to unpack. In so that. we're supposed to be worried about specifically another virus from China, like yeah. whether that's that's the a virus couldn't come from anywhere else or couldn't originate right. here. But we should be worried about another Chinese virus. That's right. Is what that that's said. right. Yes. Yep. Got and it. also, you know, I think all of my all of my modern monetary theory heads ears pricked up that last line about assuming we can borrow it, <laughs> we can print it. Yeah. Yeah, like exactly. how do you think we paid for all the freaking wars that you wanted, Chuck Federalist? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the idea that we have to borrow the money for this. Like they said, like when they were ta- when I can't oh my god, I wish I could remember who it was when they were asking them like how are you how do you have all these, you know, this this was for the last time in 2008, mm-hmm. right? Right. I, the bailout. Basically they're saying like, "Oh, well we just rewrite the number." Yeah. Like we don't that number's not real. Yeah. We just rewrite yeah. it. Yeah. So we just add Whoo, yeah, that's uh, that's not how nope. it works. You don't actually have to borrow. You only have to borrow the money if it's to help 
otherwise it's fine. The U.S. government is the, the creditor. It's just borrowing from itself. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And it can cancel out that debt. And each, yeah, that's why those sort of like deficit hawk arguments are always things that need to be taken with a grain of salt because it's a it's a probably a intentional circulation of misunderstandings about how this kind of thing works on a on a on a no. federal level. No, it couldn't be that. But I also want to uh, I want to draw attention to that the the claim here that a Chinese bio laboratory has been shown to have been tinkering with bat viruses. Uh, so there's a link that's cited there. There's not a link that's cited for the selling used up uh, lab animals to local wet markets, which, by the way, wet market is not. We have wet markets in the U.S. Uh, they're called it's farmers. Just a farmer's they're, they're called farmers it's markets. Just a farmer's market. <laughs> yeah, again, d- dog whistles. But uh, the whole tinkering with bat viruses thing, I followed up on that source that they cited there. That is talking about researchers in China who are trying to preemptively like locate and analyze new novel coronaviruses that you know could potentially basically uh, as a matter of developing infrastructure for early detection and prevention it's a little bit different from the implication here which is like tinkering with bat viruses makes it sound like they're using this as a bioweapon which is of course right. another yeah. awful con- like racist conspiracy theory hey you said it not them that's right. you're the one who's saying that's that. right they absolutely did not yes no. yeah that's right yeah we don't know what they're doing who's to say they're tinkering they're tinkering, tinkering. folks you can do a yeah. lot of stuff when you're tinkering with those bat viruses <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what they'll tinker with next? So, okay, so now we're so now we're we're, uh, we're we're switching gears a little bit here. Every few years, the nation's civil engineers produce a slick infrastructure report card. So again, no no real transition here. Just going right into infrastructure. In 2017, the report card gave America a D plus and recommended spending an additional 1.5 trillion dollars over a decade on top of the 1.8 trillion dollars already committed on roads, bridges, airports, water systems, and other infrastructure. If we didn't, the engineers warned of more road deaths, failing dams, and a cost to families of about 3,400 dollars annually in lost productivity. Sorry, I just lost. Lost productivity Wait. from what? Yeah, no no one knows. It doesn't matter. Yeah, d- d- mean, just don't think about it. Just don't think about I it. I mean, I don't know. I That might be true. It could be. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm waiting to see what this is setting up for because yeah. our infrastructure is screwed it, it is like it is bad but but yeah. but again yeah i want to keep i want i want to keep in mind the you know again what what is being called for here the recommendation of you know an additional 1.5 trillion dollars over a decade being spent here but america isn't an engineerocracy as a result the nation's infrastructure grade will probably always be below average neither is america a doctorocracy even after <laughs> Even though during this time we are giving our medical professionals more attention and resources than usual as we're afraid of a new and deadly virus. I just want to point out we will be a doctorocracy if Joe Biden gets elected. Jill. uh, (laughs) Dr. Jill Biden, first lady. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's right. Esteemed physician. That's right. Yep. (laughs) All goods and services compete for limited resources. Health and safety, social welfare, housing, transportation, entertainment, and even national defense are balanced in a system of trade-offs that, for the most part, seeks to create supply and meet demand. (laughs) Okay, so so there's agency being attributed to the system of trade-offs that somehow somebody or the system itself, quote-unquote, seeks to create supply and meet demand, which... Who who is doing this? This is totally like you know abstract, obscure agent. Grammatically, 
But also the whole sort of like, you know, goods and services competing for limited resources is, again, a little bit of a deficit concern troll that we're seeing in here. Well, and also, like, I want to point out that conflating engineers with, like, evil elites that want to control the budget towards their ends, like, Mm -hmm. I think is an amazing... I mean, it's just wild how, like, the conservative media, like keeps expanding who's part of like the evil liberal elite so now it's just like anyone who got an engineering degree anybody who went to college basically, yeah. Yeah. right at right. this point if you're if you have doctors too all doctors okay thank you for the perfect softball tee up pitch uh setup for this imagine for a moment that the nation were ruled by a dictatorship of doctors <laughs> <laughs> A doctatorship. A doctatorship. <laughs> I'm ready to imagine. It. Sorry, that one. Yeah, that why one. not? I mean, yeah, Medicare for all. That's like right. that is Medicare for all. Please make it happen. A dictatorship of doctors. Okay, so here, here are the dictate to me, daddy. <laughs> doctate to me, daddy. Okay, so here are the here are the consequences. Private ownership of guns would be curtailed. All tobacco products yes. would be outlawed. Sugar, sugary drinks would be heavily taxed. Shots fired yes. at Mike Bloomberg. Uh, taxes on alcohol would go even higher. Football, boxing, and other dangerous sports would be banned. Vaccinations yes. against common diseases would be mandatory. Yes. <laughs> no. Oh, heaven forbid. Uh, heaven forbid. Mentally ill people on the street would be institutionalized. <laughs> I don't know what the- point of putting that in there was or given housing yeah no kidding yeah. uh and in the fight against infectious diseases south korea or even the people's republic of china would be seen as a model worth emulating because resources are finite there would be less spending on roads and defense and even entertainment in the end we might not live longer but it would feel like it oh wow <laughs> So, so one of the things that I think we we've dealt with in in previous rejoinders here is the construction of completely insane hypotheticals. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Just don't make any, don't have any internal logic or consistency to them. And I think this might be one of my favorites that we've ever run across: the doctor dictatorship. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it sounds it sounds pretty sick to me. Like you know. Yeah. No more football. Yeah. yeah. Mandatory it's vaccines. Chill. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that probably be good to have everyone take vaccines and not smoke. I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel, yeah, I feel like Alex, your point about the, like the hypotheticals that are like, people just like make up, like imagine this terrible thing. This is definitely what would happen. Like, was it Chris Matthews? Who was it recently that was like saying about like, oh, they'd, they'd hang me in Central Park or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you was Chris Matthews. That was like, Chris Matthews. Yeah, 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 yeah. About Bernie. Yeah. That Bernie would hang him about in Central Bernie, Park. Right. Yeah. Right. Like these things you can just like say something that's like completely <laughs> just conge- like hypothetical. Like just what if this terrible, this terrible thing could happen unless you do the. And like, what is even this article asking for? I'm not really sure. Like, what? Yeah, we're we're, we're coming. I kind of lost. What yeah, it's no, like. it's it's very easy to lose the thread. This is a an extremely okay. poorly written article, which is those are the kind that I really love to find for this, where you have to like really dig through to get to the arguments that this <laughs> that this is making because it's just you're lost in a bog full of just like half baked thoughts and it's like gobbledygook. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah, just like, like just just brain worms. Yeah, but um, yeah, I I do love that that hype hypothetical like that somehow all of those things fit together 
Like that, that yeah, one would yeah. follow from an, like, you know, banned baseball, and that we require have... vaccines. Right. Yeah. No more entertainment, no more movies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, well, just, what? yeah, it go it goes to what you were saying earlier, Calvin, which is this expanding circle of people who are included in like the evil liberal elite who want to control, yeah. who want to restrict your freedoms. It's everyone except Chuck and John fed. <laughs> And and Trump, yeah, exactly. And Trump, yeah, the the president who loves freedom the most. So just to, just to finish out the article here, uh, just a few more paragraphs. So we're talking about referencing the the dictatorship earlier. <clears throat> Americans should chafe at such intrusions. It's why we struggle over questions like involuntary commitment for the mentally ill on the streets, gun control, and risky activities. Now we chafe at being told when we can return to work or go to a restaurant. We're a free people, able to make choices, even ill-informed ones, about our own lives and well-being. It's called liberty. It's not easily measured, but we value it and have since before Patrick Henry proclaimed to the Virginia Convention 1775 when he said, Give me liberty or give me death! While President Trump has declared that we are at war with an invisible enemy from China, our sophisticated healthcare system, equipped by an arsenal of innovation made possible by free markets and prosperity, may allow us to enjoy both liberty and health. How? And that's the end. Like, <laughs> no, it's not doing <laughs> yeah. that now. Like, no! <laughs> it may, it may. Like, what is your evidence that it's going to? Yeah. Right. Yeah, you can't. Uh, just just like it doesn't make sense to like list a hypothetical world where like vaccines are mandatory and baseball is canceled you like you can't it doesn't make sense to say like this will get better because i feel like a, a, this is a bit of a side note but like you know i think people in america are looking to places in the world that have through like rigorous effort been able to flatten their curve and so they think oh well that's gonna happen here it happened there and then we don't have to do anything about it because it happened someplace else and we're america so of course it's going to happen here because we're america like we're proud of like this idea of america that's supposed to like save us from these terrible things and so we don't have to do anything yeah which but the yeah, go ahead. no i mean that's like the exact opposite of of i feel like americans usual logic which is that we are special and we're unique and things right so so when it's convenient we will assume that Oh yeah, it'll be the same thing here as elsewhere. Yeah. When like, no, yeah. no, 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 it's gonna be way different. It already is, and it's probably gonna be much worse. But that that like that sort of give me liberty or give me death, like that's yeah. literally the choice <laughs> right now. You know, like if you're yes. free to roam around, you can be free to roam around, I guess. But like, people are dying, and they will continue to die. So it is like. And I don't, obviously, like, you're sort of painted into a corner talking like that because of the hundreds of years people have used that, like, maxim as, like, a defense of, like, American freedom or whatever. But, like, f*** around and find out, guys, I guess. We'll see what happens. I don't know. I, I feel like this idea that, like, we should be, we shouldn't want a world where vaccines are mandatory is, I don't know. I mean, it's it's kind of a hard argument to land for me right now in this world where we don't have a vaccine for something that is killing thousands of people every day i don't know well <laughs> i don't really know what to make of well that. i think I, uh, I mean you're 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 leading us i think to, towards sophie the sort of like the true dark irony of this article which is sort of pointing to the, probably one of the features of american nationalist ideology and sort of like american exceptionalist mindsets that is 
making it very likely that this will be worse here because we don't right. we we are not in, in America we don't really have a culture that values community or a a sense of collective like, action. yeah or a sense of like social obligation to your fellow people like it exists in some pockets in different places but like on the whole like the you know sort of like american individualist mindset is all about being an autonomous individual and being you know only concerned for your own sort of narrow self-interest and and because of that 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 kind of thinking causes people to not you know, to think like, well, this, this, the reason that the coronavirus is bad is because I can't go to, go to PF Chang's whenever I want to now. (laughs) Like I can't, I can't go, go to restaurants. I can't, uh, you know, I can't go, go back to work. I can't go to the movies. I can't get my, I can't return my clothing within the 30 day return. Did you guys see that lady (laughs) who was on, um, there was a, oh my God. Uh, there was this woman who was on, I think it was a, Fox News panel, so obviously mm-hmm. take that with a grain of salt. But she, I, I got a little screen grab. I don't know where she said, and I quote: "I know that people are dying, and I understand that. But you know, ladies can't get their nails done. You're going to start seeing what color our hair actually is. Our roots are growing in. You know, we have clothing that maybe we bought, and we have to return it within 30 days. And you know, if we're stuck inside, how are we supposed to do that? So I, I know that people are dying. I know that this isn't, you know." This isn't the the number one priority, but you know, we're, you know, uh, we ladies, basically we need to get our nails done is like the thing she went on television and said, which is like pretty horrifying. It's pretty horrifying. Well, I think she should demand that the government make those businesses extend that return window, (laughs) baby. I think she should. Yeah, that's what I'm concerned about. I've got all this retail that I just, you know, what am I, how am I supposed to return it? I know that people are dying, but come on. Let's, let's think about what's really important here. This is... I got to get to Ann Taylor Loft oh. and return this turtleneck or whatever. Like, I don't know. The mask is off. Oh, yeah. But it should be on. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's a little joke for you guys. <laughs> it mask on. Yeah. <laughs> no. So there's like two really fascinating things about this to me. One is what you're pointing out, Alex, about the individualism, like American individualism and how that's corrosive to public health and like exactly what we kind of need to foster in a crisis like this. But there's also, I think, something, an undercurrent in this article of, yeah, American exceptionalism and this belief on the right that American exceptionalism has been naturally ordained, like has been kind of provided by God as opposed to like forcibly enacted through a regime of imperialism and colonialism and laissez-faire capitalism that harms the vast majority of people. And so they seem to think that that will protect them, but it literally won't. That's what's crazy about this crisis is that like, you know, they'll probably go to their graves screaming, give me liberty or give me death. Yeah. And they'll get the ladder. Uh, choosing, choosing the ladder, yeah. And that is a truly terrifying devotion to this kind of American exceptionalist individualism. And, yeah, it's you, you don't love to see it. It's not good. I don't love to see yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, it's not not great. I think yeah, just just to kind of like synthesize like what Sophie and Calvin what you both were talking about. 
what I was thinking about, especially when Sophie, you were talking is like, this is total like suburb mindset has come out. And that is like that, that is, that is the, the primary like driving ideology of the federalist and seemingly their, their audience base too. Like these are the, the unstated assumptions that they would be responding to are, are the sort of things that like people like, like relatively well-off people and like privileged people living in, again, I don't want to be reductive and just reduce it to, you know, a geographic location and not class because I think class position has everything to do with this but it's yeah. the concerns of the people who are more more interested in when they can return their their clothes the people who are still getting a paycheck yeah exactly people who can still work through this which is like a huge obviously a huge divide and I think a lot of, I mean this is kind of this is the subject of the the tweets that I've brought to this episode. Ooh, yeah. But like the people being paid to write from home these takes about what needs to happen to save the economy mm-hmm. are absolutely not the people that are being asked to risk anything to save said economy. You can say whatever you want to, but since you're not actually talking about yourself, like, yeah, go ahead and, and insist that we all go back to work. Or, or this phrase that I keep hearing too, like, Americans really just want to get back to work. Like a lot of the people, the people who... And again, this is reductive, but like the the these jobs that we're insisting that people are dying to return to, like maybe are not the jobs that people love to work so much. Like people are, we could more accurately say people are desperate to have income. Yes. Yes. But I don't think that anybody is desperate to like get back to work at, you know, the Amazon warehouse or at, you know, where these places that like we need, but they're not essential you know, in terms of how we pay them, but they are essential in terms of white ladies being able to shop online or whatever. Like, it's pretty, it's hard to really be glib about it because it just seems so purely selfish and evil. No, and I think you're right. From, so from my yes. stance. I think you're right, Sophie, that like that's a type of privilege in the media that isn't examined enough. Like, I feel like we talk a lot about like kind of the white privilege of the media, but like the class privilege of the media that so many of these people like, they literally have jobs they can do from home that are really well paid, that are covering like all of their expenses. So by definition, they can't understand the economic dimensions of this crisis. Yeah. But it's, you know, again, it's like that American, you know, individualism. Like I don't, if it doesn't matter to me and then I don't care about it or I only care about it in as much as it does affect me and my ability to like continue to spend the money that I'm continuing to earn. Yeah. There, there was a time when I felt like perhaps the pandemic would be, or this pandemic would represent a moment where we would start to recognize the really stark class differences in this country and the extent to which we are reliance on one another in all sorts of different ways and in some ways maybe that is happening in certain communities but yeah the wealthy white suburbanites you need to catch up (laughs) get on the get on the same page i fear that that will happen yeah you know what i mean like i that's what's like so shitty about this is that like i will take no delight in being right but as more and more people start to die people are going to start caring more and more about this but i really feel like it's going to take somebody you know unless somebody that you know has died a lot of these people don't care and they won't until it affects them personally which is like yeah i I just just the idea again like that i have to like beg you to care about anybody but yourself is pretty discouraging yeah so if if this virus will be like the great leveler or whatever people say i think we've got a lot of some 
pretty hard weeks in store and I don't I don't relish that that's what is what it's going to take for everybody to like see what's happening is for it to like one by one like ruin all of us you know what I mean like that's a terrible sorry I'm getting a little dark I guess no it's 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 warranted I think I feel the same way I mean and and I yeah I'm just I'm not convinced that these people will even change like I think that they like like we've been saying like maybe we should call this episode "Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death." Ooh. Um, yeah. Yes. But like, I'm not convinced that these people won't go to their deaths. Be- I'm not believing this stuff. That that's that's one of the harder parts about the like truly hard reactionary right, and in dealing with, you know, one of the tenets in in like the discipline that we're coming from in rhetoric, you know, that that you know persuasion is in a democracy uh, sort of like an ethical commitment, you know, to hearing other people's viewpoints and, um, you know, in trying to engage in, in reasoned persuasion and assuming that the, that they have, you know, reason that they can use to, to accept that when like some people on the right are apocalyptic death cultists who believe that, you know, that things like Trump moving the capital of Israel to Jerusalem is hastening the second coming of Christ and that they want to die. And, you know, that climate change is, is an example of, you know, uh, of God calling us back in like that, that kind of stuff, like really, really concerns me in addition to, you know, the people who will say that they value individual liberty and principle over the deaths of hundreds of thousands if not millions so anyway yeah sorry i took it to a dark place too but no it's it's we were already yeah, in it's a dark true place. well speaking of more dark let's go to the darkest place twitter sophie what do you what do you what do you oh, yes. what do you have for us in terms right. of some some hot take so, tweets <laughs> well as previously mentioned right i'm at home with my two children which is not super great for my productivity and it means i don't have a lot of time to read longer pieces but i have collected a few tweets that I feel like are by no means unique, but are sort of emblematic of a lot of the takes that I'm seeing yeah. right. on social media. So I think previously in this episode, we talked about the remarks Trump made. He gave a press conference on March 23rd, mm-hmm. along with some of the fellow members of his administration about, you know, this, the situation with the virus. That same day, Matthew John Dowd, he's the chief political analyst for ABC News. He was a chief strategist for the Bush Cheney presidential campaign. Huh, isn't that weird? For, yeah. Hmm. So on March 23rd, after Trump gave his address, he tweeted, I believe President Trump is right about at least one thing today. We must find a balance between protecting citizens' health and protecting our economy. Decimating our economy in pursuit of fighting the virus doesn't do our citizens any good in the short or long term. End tweet. Oh. So here we're seeing something that is, again, not unique to this tweet, but this idea that the economy and the citizens they're somehow separate from one another. Yep. You know, you have to do one at the expense of the other. And that somehow it's not a good idea to fight the virus if it means ruining the economy to do it. That somehow the citizens won't be better off for that. But I'm just seeing this a lot. And I don't know if you guys have too. Yeah. just this idea that like, well, we can either save the economy or we can save the people. But they're not the same yeah. thing. As if one wasn't run by the other or as if one doesn't, you know, generate all the capital that is you know, the basis of the market, just this divide is pretty, pretty wild. Or that, that, you know, a a chief political strategist for a major, you know, news network could tell us on Twitter, the American people that like, it's actually, you know, basically what he's saying to me is that the most important thing is the economy. And per the tweet, that is not the same as the people. And so those two things are separate and the economy is more important. Well, there's an assumption built into this that 
the economy is the the economy must be what it always has been. <laughs> and so if our economy, which it is, is built on face-to-face -face interaction and is built on not social distancing, that well, I guess we're just not going to we're not going to social distance. So we're all going to die <laughs> again. Like I feel like we keep going back to like we there's, have two choices. There's a, lot, there's a strong death drive mm -hmm. in this culture that's being exposed by this and it's like yeah. Maybe we need to change our economy. Like maybe the economy should not be this static, unchanging thing that we like pledge fealty to and promise not to contravene like a, a god or a deity. Like maybe we should have some agency in what our economy looks like. Right. Yeah, that would be nice considering that we generate all of the capital yeah. through our mm -hmm. life. If you ask, if you ask. Me. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, and I think that this is, well, this is an example of the fact that I think that because we're seeing a lot of these takes, I think that's an indication that, uh, that the people in higher positions of power know that too. And because I mean, again, we have to talk about like, whose economy are we talking about here? Where we, when you invoke a phrase like the economy, you are making all sorts of, or you're activating, I guess, all sorts of myriad assumptions about what that means what sectors of the economy you're talking about. I mean, even as our friend Chuck in the last uh, article said, you know, the economy is made up of a lot of different sectors that are, you know, competing over finite resources, yada, yada, yada. But like, you know, in, in this, in, in the way that we have things set up now, like that's probably going to, I mean, it's going to change. When we say things about like the economy shrinking, you know, we could also be talking about the fact that like profit margins for certain massive corporations are going to be narrowing now, you know, I mean, yeah. as far as I've seen, you know, like local businesses are are taking a big hit with this, depending on, you know, what kinds of but but a lot of them are also adapting too. like a lot of them, you know, have been going to offering remote services or, you know, like uh, making like expanding the avail availability of like takeout food or, uh, you know, bars that are, you know, offering like takeout cocktails and things like that. I mean, these are these are small examples of the way that like local economies are still trying to find ways to adapt to a new set of circumstances. And I think that's kind of because now it is less favorable to go out to like big box department stores and things like that to spend your money. I mean, Amazon is like the one big exception to this uh, because they they've already cornered the market on the sort of consumption that you can do at a distance. But I think there is a there's there's a revelation here that all sectors of the economy are not affected equally by this and that you know these these people are really just saying like people need to lay down their lives at the altar of <laughs> at the altar of the, the yeah yeah exactly yep yep uh, of the people that we you know or the the sectors of the economy that we want to be boosted and that the corporations that run our economy must not be forced to change anything about their business models which is crazy because a lot of these people who say this kind of stuff claim to be libertarians and believe in free market competition right so shouldn't there be kind of creative destruction through the market that forces them to adapt right a favorite argument against fair wages or whatever right is that you know oh well you if you're the owner of the company you took the risk so you should you know get the benefit of the profit and that's why it's okay for the workers not to make as much because you're the one who took the initial risk but somehow all these companies that took the risk of investing all their capital as soon as they are seeing it lost it's our job to 
bail them mm-hmm. out. Yep. And it's our job to protect them from the 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 risk that I thought that that was why they had all that, you know, money. It's, it's funny that you never... <laughs> it was because yeah. they took the risk. Yeah, it's funny that you never hear libertarians chiming in for, you know, government bailouts of major industries as like, ah, the welfare state is at it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you, do, you do, but they, you know, they have no power and... Uh, it's self-contradictory anyways, because this is what, like, when corporations attain a certain amount of power in the economy, they will mold the economy in their image. I don't know what libertarians think is going to emerge out of those companies. They're not going to hold themselves accountable. So, right. I mean, I guess I, I, I do think, speaking of, you know, new things emerging, I do think that we are, you know, in the process of a huge paradigm shift and like like it or not a lot of things are going to need to change including people's minds and how that happens as you know i guess remains to be seen i have a sort of a side-by-side pair of tweets from one person that sort of shows the rapidity with which people are flip-flopping on how they're talking about Mm. you know the situation so buck sexton is a conservative (laughs) talk show host he's a former cia analyst um and used to be part of the nypd intel division former porn star So here we go. On March 22nd, you know, that's just before Trump made his remarks. Not that that really matters too much here. But on March 22nd, he tweeted, quote, America is going to have to get back to work very soon, even if that means there are going to be more casualties from COVID-19 than would occur under this continued extreme shutdown. It's a hard thing to say, but it is a reality and we need to accept it and act on it. So that's what he said on March 22nd. Five days later, March 27th, he tweeted the following, quote, just spoke to a friend who's a top surgeon at a big Brooklyn hospital, said the situation is as dire as anticipated, described multiple floors of the hospital as like a war zone, totally packed with COVID patients. Please pray for NYC this weekend. <laughs> and and I just feel like this, like, you can't, you just, five days ago, you said, sorry, like, people are going to die, but we can't continue with this extreme shutdown so people are gonna have to die you're gonna have to accept it well maybe he just wants to pray like his way of dealing with it is we pray for nyc but we still let everyone die yeah i just it's like do you do mr sexton do you want us to care about this or not because you said on the 22nd sorry basically like this is you know the alternative would be continuing the shutdown And obviously, we can't do that because of all the terrible reasons. You know, obviously, we can't continue with the shutdown. So we're just going to have to deal with the fact that people are going to die. But, oh my god, I just spoke to a friend who's, oh god, it's terrible. Please, please pray for for New York. Like, so you do care about it or you don't care about it? Like, I just, and obviously, like, Calvin, as you pointed out, saying pray for is, like, kind of a meaningless, you know, it's like a joke at this point to say thoughts and prayers when something terrible happens. But, um... I don't know. It's just, it's kind of hard to stomach people saying like, well, that's it. Because you know the people are saying like, well, we just have to deal with it. Aren't the people who are prepared to make the sacrifice, but they still want us to be sad about it and they still want us to care about it, but not enough to change anything or to live our lives any differently. I don't know. I just, I wonder how things will continue to change. How many people who in the end of March were saying, you know, like Mike Knowles, right? He's, um, he's, 
has this talk show on Ben Shapiro's website. He on March 28th was like, all right, enough, enough of this. We have to start reopening enough of this. Yeah. They, they all just, they all just kind of like, I mean, they're so vain. Mm -hmm. Like it's basically like, I'm bored of this. Come on. Enough. (laughs) It's enough already. It's enough. I'm like, right. Why should anyone listen to you? Well, and it's so and it's good question. and it's so craven too when they come back with the sort of like, oh, look, I care about this now, and it's like you're you're yeah. responsible for people dying, like you. Well, you that's were... what I was gonna say, Alex. <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. Like March twenty second, he tweets that. Apparently, by March twenty seventh, a lot of people had seen that tweet. So this guy's getting good engagement. Yeah, yeah, at it's least great. because there are a lot of you know dead people mm-hmm. in that hospital. Ugh. Yeah. Wow. It's pretty bad. Wow. It's uh, it's been it's been really good to talk to you both. If nothing else, it's been cathartic. I think yeah. <laughs> just kind yeah. of talking through these things. Any final words that you want to leave us with, anybody? Uh, um, I I think that uh, you know, transforming our economy is good. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Medicare, for Medicare all. for all, people-centered economy. Let's let's make yeah. it happen. Yes. All right. Thanks for joining us today, everybody. We will talk to you next time. Okay. Bye. 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 Our show today was produced by Alex Helberg, Calvin Pollock, and Sophie Wadzak, with editing work by Alex and Calvin. Our co-producer at large is Ben Williams. You can subscribe to Reverb and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Android, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at www.reverbcast.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at ReverbCast. That's R-E-V-E-R-B underscore C-A-S-T. Thanks for tuning in.